Welcome to Thursdays with Thurpath. The journey begins. Launching an integrated career path. How does working reduce and flex hours over the course of your career prepare you to become a leader who helps everyone work remotely when the pandemic hits? Ask Elizabeth Hall. She's a Third Path board member who practices what we preach. Thank you for joining today's webinar. And remember to follow us at www.thirdpath.org. For those of you who are joining for the first time today, Third Path Institute is a national nonprofit celebrating over two decades of showing people how to do work, family, and leadership differently, and why applying the science of work-life integration helps everyone work smarter. Did you know that over 100,000 people checked out our free resources last year, like the live and recorded versions of our Thursday webinars? We're glad you're here today, and as you will quickly discover, it's a celebration of everything we've learned. So all year long, we are talking about how to make it through this hopefully once-in-a-lifetime experience of combining work and family and the pandemic. And our goal all year long is to help you, our listeners and Third Path community, make it through it better. Maybe even learn a few things that you want to keep on doing once the pandemic's over. In particular, I'm excited about today's call. It's something I noticed early in the pandemic. We've been working with a lot of professionals who followed an integrated approach to work and family. And what I saw is the skills they learned before the pandemic happened has actually helped them design more sustainable solutions since the pandemic has happened. Of course, life is still complicated for them, but they've had a little bit more of a wide range of ideas and opportunities to think in new ways around how to make it all work. And we're going to have some of this available soon in a Third Path Leader Guide. Look for more information on Giving Tuesday. One of the stories that we love to share is from Elizabeth Hall. She is a Third Path board member um, and also the vice president at her organization for, um, for the uh, ex employee experience. And, you know, in her pandemic situation, her home life includes her high school age son and her mom, who there's actually an interesting story about how her mom moved across the country to, to live with Elizabeth um, even before the pandemic happened. You'll hear a little bit more about that in a second. So anyways, I'm super excited to have Elizabeth join us today. As we walk through her story, which I'll do in one second, you'll see that she's really learned a lot about remote work, reduced hour work, setting boundaries at work way before the pandemic happened. And that's why I think her organization has done so well because they can tap all that expertise to make things work better. Before we go into your story in more detail, Elizabeth, any big thoughts you wanna share or ideas before we jump into some more details about your story? Well, thank you very much for including me today, Jessica. And uh, I've, I've told you before, but I will reiterate, I am humbled uh, to be included. I am uh, just a mom who's kind of been bumbling along, um, but I have tried <laughs> a lot of things uh, and I'm, I'm happy to share the things I've tried and how they worked out. Yeah, good. Well, you will see. And actually, a lot of the Third Path community is humble that way. But 
you guys are really incredible pioneers. You've done some great things that a lot of people uh, are looking forward to learning from. So I kind of put your story into three chapters. Uh, one started 17 years ago, even before Spencer was born. Um, tell me what was happening 17 years ago and some changes that you made and why you made them. Well, at the time, uh, my husband and I were living in Southern California, and we came to the conclusion that we didn't want to start a family in Southern California. So we took a year and did some research and visited a bunch of different cities and decided we wanted to relocate to Portland, Oregon. And my husband was successful in getting a job there. And um, kind of much to my surprise, I would say, and I thought, oh my gosh, now we really have to do this. <laughs> and uh, so he, he took a job up there and I thought, well, I really have more work that I want to do for my current employer in Southern California. And I wonder if they would let me do some of that from Portland and I could come back here you know, every other week or so. And I remember discussing it with my husband at the time. And he said, you know, Elizabeth, you know, there's nobody at the company who telecommutes. They really don't do that. And I'm not even sure you should ask about it. And I said, well, why not ask? Because if I can't do it, I'm probably going to have to quit. So, well, you know, no harm, no foul in asking. And, yep. um, Sure enough, so I put together a proposal. I had estimated how much I thought it would cost uh, to cover airfare and hotel. And I also had volunteered, you know, if the company wouldn't cover hotel, that I would pay for that myself. But um, I really didn't, I didn't think I could pay for the airfare. So I, I was asking for that. And I said I wanted to do it for six months um, as a transitional period. And um, much to my surprise, um, my boss said yes on the spot. And I actually wound up doing that for two and a half years. And I um, was in Portland 60% of the time, and then I flew back to Southern California for 40% of the time. Um, and much to my delight, the company picked up all of my travel expenses, which was great. Yeah, yeah, no. And again, you know, as you listen in today, think about that 17 years ago, the world was a different place. Like if the pandemic had happened 17 years ago, it would have been a little bit more complicated to to pivot the way we've all pivoted. Mm -hmm. um, sure. But the but the most important thing, again, as you listen into Elizabeth's story, is she was experimenting with remote work a long time ago and thinking about how she could get remote work to be something that worked well for her and her company. I'm wondering if you even remember way back then when you were working remotely, were there were there ways that it actually improved how you got your work done to to organize your work this way? Well, one thing that I did was I set up a check-in call with my boss every day at 4:45. And um at the beginning it was a way of holding each other accountable given that we weren't going to see each other and um, my employer at the time really did place a premium on FaceTime, so it was pretty unusual to, you know, have someone who wasn't going to be physically present in the office. And what that evolved into was really a lot of kind of strategy talk and mutual debriefing about our days. And I feel like it brought us closer that we had that daily check-in. Hmm. That's so cool. Wonderful. 
Well, and that's something we'll be talking about throughout the webinar as you listen in. Uh, another theme to listen for is how I think what Elizabeth did was good for her, but also probably in many different ways improved how she got her work done. That's something we really see. We're, we're referring to it as the science of work-life integration, and that when you really want to have time for something, work and something else, and you're supported to think that way, we often come up with even better ways to get our work done. So along comes Spencer. Tell us about that moment in time. It was a, 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 a number of unexpected bumps right there. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> babies uh, bring lots of unexpected delight. Um, and in this particular case, um, baby Spencer arrived right on time uh, in, in Portland, which was wonderful. Um, but about six weeks after um, baby Spencer arrived, um, my husband was laid off. Um, and I had already resigned um, from my position in Southern California. And uh, I think Jessica, I was joking with you earlier that Alaska Airlines, uh, towards the end of my commuting between Portland and Southern California, <laughs> the Alaska Airlines team was not very excited to see an extremely pregnant lady get on their plane. Um, <laughs> so I, I had resigned. I um, and. Spencer was, gosh, he was about six weeks old. And as it says there on the slide, there we were, um, no jobs and a new baby. So um, it, it had become clear that I was probably gonna be the primary earner um, in our family at that time. And so what I wound up doing was going back to my employer and again, pitching them some idea of something they didn't usually do and saying, hey, I don't wanna come back full-time as an employee. I can't commit to the travel anymore, but would you take me on part-time as a consultant? And could I kind of build up a consulting practice? Um, and that's what I did. And I actually wound up doing consulting work for a couple different divisions of my former employer. Um, and that was enough to bridge us until my husband was working again. Um, and we did actually put Spencer in a, a group childcare um, because it became clear that I couldn't do the consulting work and my husband couldn't look for a job and take care of Spencer. So um, he was in group care for a few months, um, even while I was working part time. Um, but what was great for me was that I got I got to have the first year experience with him that I wanted. Um, I didn't get there the way I thought I would, but um, I had a little bit of work. I, I was probably working maybe 15 or 20 hours a week. And so he was in group care about 20 hours a week. Um, and then I got to have most of my days with him, um, which is what I really wanted that first year um, to have that time for bonding. And I, you know, I wanted to um, provide care for him myself um, the best that I could. So um, it wasn't exactly what we had envisioned, but it worked out fine. Yeah. No, in fact, you know, my fantasy world that I hope doesn't, you know, happen sooner than later is that helping parents have a kind of a transition time period where they go from some time off to part-time work to back to whatever it is that they want to get back to is really healthy for for uh, for parents. So I think you were intuitively doing something that probably would make sense for a lot of people. 
Um, I see that we have some people writing in some chats, which is great because at the end of today's uh, webinar, we are going to have time for people to ask questions, share comments. Um, so keep those chats coming. Sergio is going to be looking for them, keeping track of them, and then we'll be asking the questions at the end of today's webinar. So, and that's only part of the live event. You can't get get to ask these questions unless uh, you're part of the live event. So, all right. So here you were trying to keep your schedule to about 15 to 20 hours a week, um, having some childcare to help you make that all work. Um, any tips, anything you learned about trying to set boundaries and to work only 15 or 20 hours a week? Because that's not always such an easy thing to do. Yeah, well, I would say I probably had a built-in boundary setting function in that that was the work that I was uh, taking on as a consultant. I mean, I, I was my own boss, really, so had control over that. Um, and I wanted to make sure, you know, I had I had done the math of how much money I needed to br be bringing in to cover household expenses and cover the cost of um, some additional childcare. So I, I took on the work to um, make sure that I hit the sort of family bottom line. Um, and I. I would say I don't really think I got smarter until about boundaries until later in my career. Mm -hmm. um, I think when Spencer was little and I was a new parent, um, I think I, I had in my mind, you know, okay, this is kind of the experience that I want to have with my child um, for his first year. But I, I think I, I got a lot smarter later. <laughs> good, good. Well, we want to hear about that as it uh, unfolds in your story, and probably it's connected to chapter three. Um, you know, I think that you, you somewhere between chapter two and chapter three, um, you you worked for an organization that I, I guess I would describe as a work first workplace. Um, That's <laughs> And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of work first workplaces out there that people are trying to figure out how to make this happen in. Um, and again, you know, we don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about this chapter, but I think there was a point in life when work took over more of your life than you wanted and you were realizing you wanted to make a change again. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about when did you know that you wanted to make a change? What were some steps you helped yourself make to make that change, including, I think, an idea about trying to stop work early one afternoon a week or something like that? Tell, tell me that part of the story. Yes. Yeah, so um, as our family life matured and changed, we found ourselves back in the, the Pacific Northwest, um, now where I am now up in the, the Seattle area. And uh, I was working for a, we'll just say a global company. Um, and I also had a global job, um, which uh, I'm sure some of our listeners have had global jobs. Um, so fun so enriching to be able to get work done with global colleagues. I, I love hearing about other people's lives and cultures and it's, um, it's, it's just an amazing way um, to work collaboratively. On the downside, um, it's very demanding. And I would, you know, I remember there was a leadership team I was a part of that met at 5.30 in the morning. I had a mentee who was in India. I would talk with her at 10.30 at night. Um, and um, that those, that's a long day. 
<laughs> you're trying to fit in, um, you know, being, being a parent, um, being a daughter, being a wife, being a friend, um, it was, it was very challenging. And so, um, I saw that, um, I, one thing that I was missing out on was at least in, in our community, um, there was a very kind of mom centered culture around the school. And even when my husband would go and, and pick up Spencer, um, he wouldn't get information about what was going on at the school. Hmm. And I thought, okay, this is not going to work. And I don't think I'm going to single-handedly change the, the kind of <laughs> dynamics that are happening at this school. Um, so I talked to my boss about it and I said, I want to leave work on Tuesdays. Cause that, that was a good day for me with my meetings. I'm going to leave work around two 30. I want to pick up Spencer. And I said that the idea is not only that I'm picking him up and spending time with him in the afternoon, but that I am standing around with the other moms waiting for the kids to get out of school mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I needed, I need the information flow that is happening in that time. So I know what's going on at the school. I know what's going on with the kids. And that was just something that was really important to me to feel like I, I knew what was happening in the school community. Yep. Yeah. So my, my boss at the time, um, an amazing man with whom I am still very close. And he said, yeah, of course, kind of like, why are we even having this conversation? You know, do whatever you want. Um, and, uh, so I told my team, I'm going to, on Tuesdays, I'm leaving at 2.30, I'll be offline until after dinner, and then I'll hop back online and I'll finish up whatever has transpired um, on, on the afternoon. And it mostly worked fine, but it was that was a boundary that I had a hard time enforcing just on my own of walking out the door at 2.30 in a work-first culture. Um, yep. That was pretty challenging. So I was very grateful. I had a, a colleague um, who would call me on it and say, uh, it's 2.25 and we're on the phone. I hope this call's going to end and you're going to leave. <laughs> uh, and uh, it it was hugely helpful to me. And I, I was yeah. so grateful that I had been open about what I was doing, not only because as a leader, I wanted to set a tone that that was okay, but also that um, I had some accountability partners because I it was hard for me, um, despite, you know, all the reasons I had for wanting to be at the school and wanting to have that extra time with Spencer. Yes. Yes. What a great story. And what, again, great, great little moments that I want to underscore, uh, this concept of an accountability partners. Again, if you're listening in today, that is a really helpful idea. You know, you're trying to make a change this year. You're trying to set up your life in a way that's more sustainable and finding somebody who can be your gentle support in the background, helping you remember why you want to make the change and how it's going is super, super good advice. There's something else that you said that I, as the first time I heard you say it, I think it's important to underscore yeah. again. Your boss said, yes, of course. Why are we even having this conversation? So like, go ahead and take that risk. Have that conversation. Ask for that thing that you need. Um, you know, really, if you've heard that Elizabeth's done this about 10 times so far in her career (laughs) and we haven't even finished her story. So there's a really important point of going ahead and getting the courage to ask for some change. Where do you think your courage comes from to, to ask for these things? Uh, I never asked you that question before, but I wonder if you have an answer. 
Oh, that, okay, that's a deep question, Jessica. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give credit to my parents um, mm -hmm. who, you know, I think have some really well-cultivated values on, um, you know, raising an empowered little girl. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I have, I, I think I was brought up with, uh, you can ask for what you need um, and that it's okay to do so. Um, and and yeah. honestly, it, it's also been self-reinforcing when I've asked for what I needed. Um, more often than not, it's worked out well for me. And so that's encouraged me to keep asking. Um, yes, yes, well. yes. Good, both excellent on the spot answers. And if you <laughs> feel like you, if you feel like you didn't grow up with enough, uh, someone in your corner, again, I, there's a lot of resources out there to get someone in your corner. Um, actually, Third Path has this long list of wonderful integrated life advocates who um, are work life coaches and can help you kind of think about next step towards change. So, you know, change is possible. You can get support. And Elizabeth's story is hopefully showing you why it's good for her, good for her organization, which is what we're going to get to next. So here we are, the pandemic hit, actually because of what was happening in your son's school or around your son's school, the pandemic hit kind of quicker for you guys and many parts of the country. Yeah. And you were watching, yeah, you were watching your son's school kind of handle this massive change of suddenly doing remote learning um, in, a, in a very thoughtful way of doing a test run before they actually did the whole change about and you watched it and you took that story and you said, hmm, we should be thinking about this as an organization. And what did you do with that information? I did. Um, so just to uh, piece in the part of the story um, for, for our listeners, um, I wound up leaving my workforce, work first employer um, and moving to a regional company um, towards the end of, of my time at the, the global company I was doing about 75% long haul travel and just found that that, uh, well, I, I cannot deny the glamour of the amazing places I got to go uh, was not the kind of lifestyle that I wanted to have. And so I moved to a, a regional company um, in the healthcare industry, um, which was is really aligned with my values and uh, has just been a, a fantastic experience for me. Um, and really allowed me to grow as a professional as well. Um, but in the midst of all that, uh, here comes COVID. Um, my son's school was uh, is actually located um, in Kirkland, Washington. Um, some of you might remember that that was uh, the place of the first outbreak um, at the uh, Life Care uh, Elder Care Center in Kirkland. And so his school, um, uh, very bravely, I would say, uh, saw into the future and saw what was coming and said, I think, I think these kids need to go home. I don't, I, you know, this, this doesn't, this seems like this is going to come our way. It's only got to go a mile to get to the school. So um, they sent all the kids home and they took I think it was that was on a Monday and they said we're going to take Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and we're going to um, have the teachers prepare an online curriculum. And then on Friday, we're going to do some test classes for the kids. We'll have everybody log back in. We're going to have them do two classes. 
Um, I should point out this is a private school, so we are very privileged to be part of that school community and recognize that private schools can do a lot of things that public schools can't uh, in terms of decision-making and um, having autonomy. So I want to make that clear that this is a, a rarefied atmosphere. Right. Uh, and uh, then on, they said, as long as the test goes well on Friday, on Monday, we're going to move to a completely online curriculum. Um, and that was the last week of February and heading into the first week of March. So I was watching all this, uh, you know, just as a parent. And uh, we started having some conversations at my employer about, hmm, uh, we are a healthcare insurer and um, we happen to have uh, a couple of advantages. One is um, we have uh, a plan uh, in case of a pandemic because for every healthcare insurer, that is a um, incredibly complex situation. And we were talking through as an HR organization, okay, what, what will we do? Um, and in fact, our CEO at the time said, I want you to come back to me with a plan and I want you to plan for 40% of our insured members being sick and 40% of our employers, employees being sick and come back to me and tell me what you're gonna do and how you're gonna keep the company running. So we, we were having that kind of really dire worst case scenario and I'm, I'm so relieved to say uh, we have gotten nowhere near that 40% mark either for our employees um, or our, our, our members and the communities we serve. Um, but I said to our planning group, let's have a test day. You know, we're talking yeah. about everybody home. Um, let's have a day where we practice. Um, and so we did. Uh, we sent our entire workforce home, um, just as my, my son's school had done, uh, where I, which is exactly where I got the idea. I give them yep. full credit. Um, and um, we told people on a Wednesday and said, hey, tomorrow we're going to want you to take all your stuff. Um, and then Friday, we're going to work from home. And our amazing IT department said, we will do hourly updates and we'll let you know how this is going, whether um, all of our systems have the capacity to handle um, a workforce that is 100% at home. Um, and it worked great. And so it was mm, 10 days later, we sent everybody home and we've been operating yeah. since early March with uh, our workforce 99% from home. Wow, wow. And again, there's so many more parts of the story I wanna get to. Um, and I'm looking at the clock, so I'm just going to underscore one last point, um, and I'll tell you what we'll get to more towards the end of the call, assuming we have time. But as you can see at the bottom of the screen, this is a direct quote from Elizabeth. The skills you hone at work help you be successful at home, and the skills you hone at home help you be successful at work. The truth is we're the, one and the same person. And so that's part of the science of work-life integration. We can really, our, when we bring our whole selves to both work and home, we can learn and become better in both um, areas of life. One of the things we'll circle back to a little later in the webinar if we have time is that, you know, uh, Elizabeth has done a lot with her organization to help them around uh, wellness. And um, that's something that we're really seeing at this stage of the pandemic. We need all the advice we can get around how to support more wellness in our organizations and for our employees. So uh, stay tuned. We hope we'll have time to get Elizabeth's thoughts on that. She's done some really uh, progressive and creative things there. But what I want to get to is, so this is the call where we're teaching people how do you launch 
an integrated career. And if you think about it, what integration means is that you're doing work and something else, whether that's family or elder care or community involvement. Um, you're trying to do your work and have this other important commitment in your life that you're making time for. Well, anytime you're doing an and work and children, you need to set a boundary so you have time for work and you have time and energy for children. Um, and so that's what I want to get to next is to talk about this concept of boundary setting. And um, although we won't have a whole lot of time to talk about it today, tune in next month. And we're going to be talking a lot about how parents can do this together. And what the bottom line is, whether it's you and another parent, whether you're you know, married or, or separated, the bottom line is it really helps to get some extra support. Um, and so boundary setting is a little bit about what we do at work, which is what we started to talk about with Elizabeth, um, thinking about how to set that boundary on Tuesdays so that she could get to the school and hear what was going on in her, her son's school um, and feel like that part of her life was connected to the rest of her life. Um, but what I want to switch to now is also thinking about, you know, how there's um, it's boundary setting both at work and at home and that having some extra support really makes a difference. So tell us a little bit about this pod you're living in um, and and how did how did that come about? You're you're living with your mom. Tell us a little bit about that story. And has that provided some extra support as you've been going through this year? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I, uh, I'm still getting used to referring to my family as a pod, but yes. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, I, you know, just kind of rounding out my story on my personal life, I, I wound up getting divorced. Um, and unfortunately, at about the same time, um, I went through that process. Um, my mother's uh, second husband, my stepfather, passed away. And so we both found ourselves um, single in an unexpected way and um, had been talking about um, how, how we could support each other. Um, and we lived 3,000 miles apart. Uh, I was, again, out here in the Seattle area, and my mother was in upstate New York. And um, we, we were talking and, and she said she really wanted to spend some more time with Spencer. And I said, well, mom, you know, he's, he's uh, in ninth grade. I, if you wanna spend time with him, we, we gotta do this now. So um, she decided she would move out here. And we talked about all kinds of different um, living arrangements, including, you know, I was in a condo and she was in an over 55 community, or would we get two condos or, you know, how were we going to do this? And um, she, my mother, uh, in fact, both my parents have fantastic senses of humor. And she said, well, let's just get a big ass house. <laughs> um, and uh, she was all ready to, to buy something and ready to jump in. And, and I said, well, my experience is if you're going to do something really new in your life, that it's good to practice. And I said, why don't, why don't we rent someplace? So um, that is what I did. Spencer and I uh, did some uh, rental house uh, shopping and we, we found something um, that is uh, large and has accommodated all of us. And again, we recognize that we're, we're very privileged that we're in the economic position that we could do something like that. Um, but we pool, pooled our resources and we had estimated what we would each spend on rent. 
Um, and it has just worked out beautifully. Um, and certainly um, before Spencer was driving, my mom was a huge help to me when I had business travel and could pick him up and, and get dinner started. Um, and um, uh, it's just, it's worked out great. And, and now in this very unusual time, um, it's wonderful to have the company and uh, we've had some uh, pretty fierce card games going and uh, <laughs> I think, uh, my mom and I have discovered all kinds of things on Netflix we enjoy together and I, I think we're both really grateful uh, for the time together even though uh, it's been served up to us in a in a unfortunate way. Yes, yes. Well, and again, listeners, you hear her doing it already where I want to go next, which is you know, to make it through this pandemic, we need to find time to recharge. And that's one reason why extra support is also really helpful um, in this situation, uh, because, you know, uh, some families are really stretched thin. And by kind of figuring out how you can bring in some extra support, it gives us some time to get that recharge, whether it's playing cards, watching Netflix. I know you're someone who's also been good about getting out in nature and taking walks. Um, so, you know, all of this kind of built-in support helps us find that recharge time that we really will need as we get through the pandemic. So thank you for sharing so much of your story. What I want to talk about next is, again, some practical stuff that our listeners can learn from. Uh, we talk about boundaries. And in particular, we say to people, look, up, look for a triple win solution. Look for a solution that's going to be good for you, good for getting your work done, and good for the people that you work with, your colleagues and clients. And when you find those triple win solutions, what's interesting is sometimes you can even improve how you get your work done. And so, we, you know, there's a, it's not rocket science, uh, but there's some steps you can take to start thinking about how you can set some boundaries so that you can uh, find that triple win solution. Obviously, step number two, it's really thinking about what's most important to your organization, to the work that you do, the work that you're uniquely qualified to do. Um, and it's also kind of thinking about the flow of and pace of your work. Um, can some things be done slower because they're not as critical or sh have short-term you know, deadlines? Is there a way to find a more efficient way to get the work done? Can you change who's doing the work as a way to uh, set a better boundary and have more time and energy for the other things that you want in life. Um, and so what we're going to talk about next is that, you know, here you are um, probably at a point in your career where, you know, you could work weekends, nights if you wanted to. I mean, you're at a level in an organization where there's always more work to do, always more important projects to take on. How have you learned to think about your time in a way where you still have time for the other life priorities you have, time to recharge. Uh, what does that look like for you? Mm. Well, it, it's something that I think a lot about. And I, um, I think that experience of being in that global role and that, that period where I was doing so much long haul travel was a real wake up call for me on what's important. And I would say, um, I recognize we all have moments of surge in our work. Um, yep. And I feel very prepared to respond to those moments because I've set things up for myself 
um, so that I am, first of all, taking care of myself. My sleep is really important. Um, I could go on and on about sleep. Yep. <laughs> and my deep passion for sleep. <laughs> and yep. um, making sure that I get enough exercise, um, even if it's just a walk. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to be the most perfect, vigorous workout, but you know, really making sure that I'm attending to my own needs, um, making sure I have that time set aside with Spencer. Now that he's older, he's a senior, um, he will actually um, make a set up time with me, like a, he'll send me a meeting invitation, you know, to talk about <laughs> planning or something like that. And I think, oh my gosh, you know, I've created this, I've created a monster, uh, but um, <laughs> Uh, you know, we we are both intentional in how we carve out time, you know, as parent and child to make sure we're we're talking through the things that are important. Um, and I spend a lot of time tending to my network, um, my my work network, my friend circles. Um, I and I, you know, if there's a thing that I feel guilty about, it's you know, make making sure. Oh gosh, I haven't talked to that person in a while, or oh, I haven't checked in with with this you know, person I know professionally. Um, and and I found that the intentional time that I have spent on my network has paid off in so many ways. I mean, yeah. of course, just enriching my life, but also helping me professionally um, and helping me personally. You know, I, I've had some not so great times. Um, and yeah. it's, you know, reaching out to people to say like, uh, I'm going through a divorce. It's really awful. Here's the things that are happening to me. I'm also trying to work. Uh, you know, what how how can I be thinking about this? Who do you know who could who could help me? What ideas do you have? Um, and conversely, you know, I I hope that I can be supportive to other people when they're having hard times. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, being really um, I see on your slide you have self-discipline. Yeah. And I think that's key. Um, you know, having that disciplined approach. Um, I also, um, Tuesdays seem to be a magical day for me, but now on Tuesday mornings, um, I have no meetings between eight and 11. And that is my work time, my concentration time. Um, you know, my, my creative ideas don't always come exactly when I want them to come, which would be Tuesday yep. morning. Um, but, um, <laughs> You know, making sure I have that time set aside uh, has been very beneficial because I, yeah. um, you know, I have a big job and I'm, I'm in meetings all day long. And, um, you know, I, I, I've got to be very intentional about my time and how I spend it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, again, listeners, uh, take it all in, because what I hear in your story is the idea that, yes, there's going to be times when there is more work to do than time available that we call it. Uh, episodic overwork versus chronic overwork and so what I hear Elizabeth doing is uh, investing a lot in the times when it's not crazy to be healthy and ready for the times when she has to kind of step it up a little bit love that you have Tuesday quiet work time I think that if you're going to do one thing this year is to start thinking about when can I have quiet focused work time and I know that's a big pill to swallow it's not an easy one but uh, it really helps if you have a certain time of the week when you can really have everybody help you get that quiet work time, both on the family side and the work side. It helps you really uh, make it all work better. I am going to zip along a little bit and let you guys know that, you know, today we're focusing uh, a lot on the work side and the workplace side. 
um, and looking for these idea, this idea of a, a triple win solution. Um, and uh, but you know that uh, when you tune back in next month, uh, you're going to hear a lot more on the home side. Um, what I want to do next is go to um, a, a, another participant who's on the call with us today, Alex Durand. Um, he too is another Third Path board member. Um, he works as a coach with people, uh, professionals who are committed to really living a, this kind of integrated life um, and brings an incredible amount of wisdom to Third Path in his job as a board member, but also the work he does with all the different professionals he works with. Alex, I'm so glad you're here. You've been listening into Elizabeth's amazing story, all the great wisdom she's been sharing about how do you launch an integrated career. What would you add, Alex, that you think is worth underscoring a uh, question you might have before we start getting into, so what are the challenges of how to get this started? Tell us, Alex. Yeah, well, uh, happy to be here. And thank you so much for to Liz for sharing her 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 amazing story. There's so much to harvest and, and, and the experience that she has shared with us today. And um, I think, yeah, I'd start off by saying that it's, it it could be easy to um, to hone in and focus on um, on the outcomes of what Elizabeth has shared um, and what has worked for her at each chapter of uh, that she that she described. But I what I really want to highlight to the listeners today is how there's a process to each um, there's a process that she's followed each time that there's been um uh you know a, a positive outcome for her uh you know we can go back to when she was talking about moving from southern california to washington state and um and how her and her then partner were talking about not wanting to raise kids in southern california where do we go and so even at the very beginning when she started sharing with us she really started to it was an example of how to practice visioning uh, and specifically, like designing with the end in mind. Um, it doesn't mean that they had the whole picture figured out, but they had variables that they were like, we want to design for our next chapter. We know we want these things. Um, and now how do we reverse engineer it? What do we need to do to get there? Um, you know, then step two, experimenting. Um, having, you know, the audacity to ask for what you want and uh, devising an experiment uh, before you even approach, uh, before she even approached her boss on that first conversation, she mentioned how she showed up with a budget. She showed, she had thought through, you know, what do I think I need to ask for upfront to make this workable? Um, and pitching it as, an, as, as a temporary thing, as an experiment. And then once she had proven that it worked, the next time she had to go back and say, hey, I don't wanna do um, be full-time anymore, I want to go part-time. Um, she had already proven through experience that her pitches, um, she, she built some social capital there. And so it kept happening over and over again to, to, um, to reinforce that whenever she made a pitch, she had thought through it. And so when we talk about asking people to ask for what they want, I, re I think it's really important to, to point out how Elizabeth showed up at each of these conversations prepared with what she thought she needed with a clear ask and a business case for why it was going to be a triple win solution. How it was going to be a win for her boss, how it was going to be a win for her and her family, and how it was going to be a win for the organization. And then third, I, I just want to point out agility. 
you know, not like like she mentioned, not everything works out exactly like you want it to, and that's that is not a reflection of uh, of us as people. It's just a reflection of life and mm-hmm. how she you know she addressed dilemmas often, right? Um, a lot of times we talk about these work life integration issues as problems that have solutions, and that's a false dichotomy because we're really dealing with dilemmas that have no solutions. Dilemma, dilemmas, unlike problems, those you only manage. And so what I hear in Elizabeth's story is her uh, honing her process as she has increased in complexity and, and, and gone through life. And her, out, her outcomes are byproducts of having a great process. And so I just wanna really leave the leaders thinking about like, you know, if you listen to Elizabeth's story and say like, wow, I never thought about just doing a test day. Or if, or if you're on the other side and you're like, this seems really overwhelming. I don't know where to start. <laughs> these are, these are all muscles, Ex- like mm. visioning, experimenting, um, mm-hmm. being good, uh, quick on your feet. Those are muscles that you build with experience over time, the way you do anything else. And so mm-hmm. finding the smallest way to test these principles, whether it's, you know, asking your partner for something you've been thinking about for a long time. Or um, you know, a, having a conversation with a friend because uh, you know you've been putting on the back burner, but you really want to say something. Like finding where you feel like your own point of development is with these pieces is really crucial to just getting on the path to developing your own process. Oh my goodness, that was fabulous! Thank you, Alex. I'm gonna like write that down word for word on good advice about how to launch an integrated career. That was really fabulous. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we wanna go on to uh, thinking about some of the challenges, but that was really a great summary of uh, what she's done and what you can do, listeners, uh, around developing these muscles um, and get you know wiser and smarter year after year around creating this integrated path. Um, but you know what I want to get to is that there are some fairly straightforward challenges that people might be up against, um, and so we're going to look at three of them today. Um, Alex and I will talk back and forth about these challenges a little bit, and then I'll see if uh, Elizabeth wants to add any wisdom about these challenges as well. You know, we did hear Elizabeth talk a little bit about you know there are these work first work cultures out there where you know the the message is pretty loud and clear that if you want to be serious uh, considered serious about your job, you need to put work first. And anything else is means that you're not really going to be considered for a promotion or a, a bonus or all kinds of things. Um, and that even even in these workplaces, it might even be seen as like a, a sign of weakness to say that, you know, hey, I'm trying to think about what's the right amount of work here. I've got this and this going on. You know, can we think together about how to prioritize these things? Um, in those workplaces, it might be seen as a, even a sign of weakness to say that. Do you have any recommendations, Alex, about how a, a next step someone can take around those workplaces? Yeah, absolutely. And and first and foremost, it starts with us. It starts with us as the individual, getting clear on what am I? What is it I want to set boundaries around? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of my boundary setting intention? Is it uh, creating more white space for you know free thinking, creative time for myself? Is it about um, uh, family time? Is it about partner time? Um, what is, maybe it's all of those things, but it's really important to first sit down and think about like this this feeling of 
um, overwork, this feeling of overwhelm, this feeling of something isn't working for me, it first starts with us sitting down and assessing what is it that I really want to create a boundary around. Once And then once you have that conversation with yourself, um, then it's easier to craft uh, a strategy for how to go about having a conversation with uh, a leader at work or a manager. So first and foremost, um, even in work-first cultures, there are um, there are folks in um, in the organization who are on the spectrum of that work-first culture. So maybe your immediate supervisor is not the most um, is not the best ear for what you'd like to say, but maybe there's a leader in the group who you have noticed models certain kinds at least of promising behaviors and maybe they're somebody you reach out to first instead of going to your immediate supervisor first not to make an ask but just have a conversation about like hey i've noticed you you know um you talk about how you it's important for you to make it to your kids games i'm curious like how did you establish that if you do have a a, a relationship with your superior that you think would enable you to have that conversation it's clear to again to go back to what elizabeth did have a clear ask what it's not enough to show up and say like I need to set boundaries. You need to know what you're setting boundaries for and what are you asking for? Are you asking to um, you know, do most of your work four days a week and have uh, one day where you have a lot of flex? Are you asking for um, you know, having to finish a day early on Mondays and Wednesdays because you have therapy on Mondays on Wednesdays, you have something else. So first, you need to know what you're setting boundaries around so that you can craft an experiment to pitch, and then you need to assess how to pitch that uh, uh, that experiment and, and to whom. That increases your likelihood of being successful, even if it doesn't guarantee a successful pitch. Yeah, yeah. And again, all of this within the context of thinking about that ask where it's, you know, you're looking for that answer that's, you're not asking to work poorly, you're just asking to work differently in a way that's good for you, good for your work, good for the people you work with. Uh, uh, again, there's so much more we could be talking about at each of these points. Um, maybe we'll combine the next two just to keep one eye on the clock. You know, sometimes it's more on the um, uh, the on the personal level that you're um, struggling with making a, an ask like this. You know, for example, I've I've learned over the years that if you're the one who's the primary um, earner in your in your family and you're going to be the first to ask for a change like this at your workplace. You know, it might feel awfully risky to to make a change like this. Have you learned anything that helps families feel like they can overcome the the worries or the risk that uh, that is out there around this as a as a family system to think differently around this? Any any tips there, Alex, that you'd like to add? The first thing I find with clients who want to have more boundary setting conversations at work is that they, generally speaking, have not had boundary setting conversations at home. Right. And um, it's one thing for an individual in a family system or in a relationship to want to have these conversations at work. But often where a lot of the practice can happen and doesn't happen is with our partners or with our family systems themselves. And so one of the places before you even really get to having these conversations um, with a, su a supervisor or a leader or, you know, the organization itself, um, you know, whatever whoever is 
impacted by the potential consequences of this design that you're thinking about exploring or, or experimenting with, having a really clear and honest conversation with all cards on the table about like, what does it mean? Like, what, what are we going for here? What are the situation? What are the options available if this doesn't go our way? Um, you know, how do we pitch it in a way so that at least we can keep status quo if they say no? Like having, um, creating the spaces within your own partner and family systems to feel psychologically safe enough to have these conversations is really beneficial to the long-term, uh, you know, to, to the long-term viability of, 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 of work-life integration. And I, I, you know, there are times when you find out that, you know, a specific family member doesn't feel safe for any number of reasons to have those conversations within their own family system. And I think that awareness is also really important to have because not all family systems are, are, are you know, work the same way and, and the dynamics are complex. And so, um, you know, having a clear vision of your own family system and how to navigate that can be just as can be filled with just as many landmines as the way that you have those conversations um, at work. But again, it starts by being self-aware about what your systems look like and where you feel like you have windows um, uh, and who, who the right people, who the best people are within your system to be a support for the kind of life that you want to design for yourself and the people who join you on that journey. Yeah, yeah. It's something we teach a lot about at Third Path is that there are a number of people who've gone out and asked for some change and it's worked really well for them. Um, and and if you're at all worried, uh, a great place to start is with your partnership at home. Certainly with me and Jeff, um, I feel like, you know, you know, now 30 years into kind of following this integrated approach, we've you know hit a lot of different snags. And the more we're feeling like we're on the same page, we're rowing in the same direction, the more we can handle whatever gets thrown us, the yes, no, the not now, and coming up with a new plan to make to make it all work. So, again, keeping one eye on the clock, it's amazing how quickly time flies. I think the the biggest message I heard when I was talking to Elizabeth as we prepared for the um, this call was that you know you don't have to have all the answers right from the start. Um, you can evolve. It can shift as you go. Uh, there's a lot that will change. I like this idea of visioning. Uh, she clearly had a vision early on about what she wanted, and then she kept on trying to do some of those experiments that Alex talked about um, and pivoting with some agility as things kept on shifting. Um, you can do to this too, um, and it and you can start it now. Uh, if you, even before kids, you can start it later in your career. You might not even want to have kids, but you probably will have other family or care responsibilities. There's lots of reasons why you can launch this integrated career. So where I wanted to get to before we run out of time, see if there's any questions out there for us, was that one of the big ideas this year for our webinars is that this could be the year where we really actually go ahead and make some change. Everything got turned upside down. Go ahead and search that amazing poem by Leslie Dwight. It will inspire you. This could be the year where we really make change. So I wanted to go back to Elizabeth and ask her, is there something you've learned this year that you really feel like, wow, I want to hold on to, even when the pandemic's over? And Alex, if we have time, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. While we're doing that, Sergio, can you uh, check and see if there's any 
critical questions out there that our listeners want to ask either uh, Elizabeth or Alex. Elizabeth, anything you want to hold on to, even when the pandemic's behind us? Well, uh, I first of all want to thank Alex for making my rambling experiment sound <laughs> highly strategic. Um, Alex is now coming to all my meetings with me. So I hope you're prepared for that. Thank you again. Um, I would say um, quiet family time um, mm -hmm. that uh, is just so precious. Um, I want to hold on to that. And I would also say, you know, professionally, my team and I have learned we can work faster than we ever thought possible. Um, and that's been really energizing for my team to, you know, help our employees um, take care of themselves during this time and for us to kind of move quickly to design things to support them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, that's been great. That it's it's yeah. a huge agility opportunity, as as I think you said earlier. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Anything you've learned this year, Alex, that you want to hold on to? I think you know, just um, to put a bow on it, um, I do think it comes down to the audacity to believing that you can design something that works for you. And that, that seems like a very small step, but it's a radical notion to believe yeah. that you can design something that maybe is different from what your family has always done, from what your organization has always done. Um, just, yeah, have the audacity to believe that you can design whatever works for you and, and yours. Yeah, yeah. There were so many jobs people told us before the pandemic hit that could never be done remotely. And voila. You know, over a 24-hour period, suddenly they were all remotely done. So, you know, the, at least those that could be done remotely. So there is a lot of opportunity here that some somebody out there is saying, nope, it can't be done. And your own mindset that, nope, I think I want to try this. I want to try this experiment. I want to go ahead and take the next step towards my vision um, is a great, great advice. So um, it is already 2 o'clock. So uh, with the idea that we probably want to be careful about our time, um, Elizabeth might even have to step off the call right now and staying with Alex. I'm just asking Sergio if there is a question out there from our audience. Um, otherwise, I will wrap us up pretty quickly. No questions. Aren't we lucky today? Okay, you guys hit, hit all the points uh, without us even having to go over any questions. Really, such a great story to learn from. Uh, such helpful advice for, from Alex about how to take that next step, have the audacity to think about what you want and take that next step. And just a real quick reminder that we are a nonprofit um, and, you know, we believe in our mission and we hope you too, uh, Giving Tuesdays around the corner, we hope you'll think about us when Giving Tuesday happens. And don't forget, every month, all year long, we are working hard to really give you some concrete advice around how to make the next step towards change. Tune in next month when we really focus on the home side of the equation. And you can find all of our webinars um, on thirdpath.org or on YouTube. And to keep track of the latest event that we've got uh, around the corner, please follow us on social media. Thanks, everybody, for being here today. It was a really great conversation.